Hi, welcome to the City View Phoenix podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, welcome to part two of our series, Talking Points. My name is Jeremiah. I'm the senior pastor here at City View Church. And we are in this series where we are looking at our politics, but through the lens of Jesus. And how does all of that work? You know, I've heard Andy Stanley say, that the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. The church should be. Now, the church hasn't always been, and even now isn't the safest place. But I think we still can be. And I think the church should be the safest place to even talk about this topic now of politics. You know, if you're a Christian and you're watching, here's the tension that we talked about last week. Are we willing to put our faith filter over our political filter? Are we willing willing to do that and separate the two? I know so many of us, it seems like they're married and they're blended and they're stuck together. But are we willing to separate our faith filter and our political filter? And are we able to look at everything through our faith filter first? And maybe you're watching this and you're not a Christian. You're just sort of on the outside watching. And well, you get to see and you get to judge and see how are we doing? How are we doing as Christians? How are we doing as believers? You know, last week we talked about the main thing God wants us to see is he wants us to be united. And you get to stand on the outside going, you know what? No, you're not doing a good job with that. Um, And you get to observe us from the outside as we look at this topic of how Christians and our faith are to be in this. And maybe because of how Christianity has reacted over the past many years on topics such as this. Maybe that's why you walked away or wanted nothing to do with it. But maybe if we had done things better, and maybe now as we move forward and try to get into the tension, maybe you might see that Jesus really wants to change you and be the best for you. You see, if we're willing to take what we looked at last week, what Jesus said, and learn from it, we might see things change. If we guard against division and pursue love and pray for unity, that's, that was Jesus' prayer for us, that we would be one as he and his Father are one. And he prayed for our, the, the church and that the people would be unified. No matter what, though, no matter what, disagreements will come. And we will disagree, won't we? And we will disagree on politics and policies. But, but, I ask you, can we disagree politically, love unconditionally, and pray for unity? Can we do that? Can we be pursuers of unity? Can we lead with love and pursue unity? Can we do that? Can we enter the tension with the goal of love and unity? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us. Lord, I thank you for your example of of unity and oneness between you and your Father. And so, Lord, as we enter into week two now, God, I ask that you would help us to be unified as a people. God, help us to be one, help us to have one mind and one goal, and that is you and telling others about you. 
God, I ask that you'd speak to us, speak to churches all over the valley, all over the world today, God. Pray for my, all my friends who are pastors in California. It's just a struggle out there on what to do and at what point do you go against what government is telling you and you do, do you do what you feel is right and the tension of people and all the stuff going on. Lord, there's a battle for people's souls going on. So Lord, I pray for my friends Jonathan, uh, my friends Chris and Jason out there and, and Evan and um, Lord, is there so many godly men that are trying to walk this walk. God, I just ask your blessings. Bless us at City View in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, thank you again for joining us as we get into this series. And here, here's the struggle that we live in that many of us are wondering when it comes to politics. How can they as Christians vote for dot, dot, dot? You name it. You name it. Am I right? Do you struggle with that? Do you struggle? With that? If you're sitting in one seat, and I don't know, maybe your seat, it's, 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 it's blue. And you are looking as, as maybe a Democrat and, and, who, and you say, of, of course, Jesus would be a Democrat because he truly loved people and he loved the refugees. And, and, and you see that and, and you look, going, of course, that's where Jesus, Jesus would vote more my side. And then maybe, maybe your seat's red. And you look going, but no, Jesus, he, he would be a Republican. I mean, he, he aligns with my values and aligns with, with what I believe on, on, on human life. And, and I know Jesus w- would really be on my side. You see, both parties can back what they believe and know that they're voting what's right based on the Bible. Both parties. And you, you may think one side or the other going, no, that's not possible. But I know godly people in both parties that love the Lord, that truly want to see God's kingdom come, and they sit in seats to the left and to the right of me. You see, it's amazing, though, at what we can make the Bible say. When our faith, when our our political filter is the first filter and our faith filter is the second, we can make the Bible say almost anything we want. People have been doing that forever. If we read the Bible through our political filter, we will have a skewed view of God. Through our political, but here's the thing, through our political view, we, we, we might say something like, he's, he's so red, he's so blue, it's amazing how often he agrees with you. You see, when, when our filters are political filter, that's the first thing, we can easily have a skewed view of who God is, what God sees, how God loves, and what we feel we should do. Are we willing to put our Jesus filter, our faith filter, our faith filter over our political filter? These can easily be tangled and we can see them as almost the same, but we must untangle those things. You see, Jesus did not come to be part of a political party. He came to do so much more. Pastor Tony Evans is quoted saying, Jesus did not come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. And that's what Jesus has come. Jesus come is to, he's come to take over lives, to set people free, to change people's lives, to change legacies so that people might have hope. You see, Jesus... In his kingdom, everything is different than what we see now. 
You see, it's not like anything that we have seen. Jesus' kingdom. You see, Jesus' kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, those who have wealth and those who have power leverage their influence to make change. In Jesus' kingdom. When you look at, at what happened in Jesus' kingdom, you look at Joseph of Arimathea in, in, in the story when Jesus dies on the cross, Joseph uses his power and his wealth to provide a place for Jesus' body. He's able to get into rooms that others can't to cause change. Same with John the Apostle. Same with Paul the Apostle. Same with different people in leadership. And you look through the Bible where God, where God uses the power and the wealth that they have that he gave them to influence those around him. You see, in Jesus' kingdom is where the king... It's only in Jesus' kingdom where the king lays down his life for his people. But in every other kingdom, the people lay down their life for the king. You see, Jesus' kingdom is completely different than every other kingdom. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, all are invited, all are welcome, and all can come to him. All are loved. You see, there will always be a conflict between man's kingdom and God's kingdom. There will always be some level of conflict between what Jesus' kingdom looks like and the political parties and the candidates that we have to vote for. There will always be conflict. There will never be one that totally 100% aligns with God. The only one that ever aligned with God was Jesus Christ himself. And he's not running for your president. You see, at the end of the day, no political party will be perfectly lined up with the values of Jesus. Each one will have pieces of Jesus, but never fully him. So what do we do? What do we do in the seat when we're, when we're struggling between right and left? Or, or maybe you're not struggling with that, but you're struggling with those on the left. Or you're really struggling with those on the right. And, and we, we see all this on the news. We see all this on our social media feeds. We have these conversations at work. We're having these conversations everywhere we go. There's some kind of political conversation. And I don't see things getting any better. And since we know the conversations are happening, let's enter into those conversations even now at church. But let's see if we can do it in a healthy, and loving way so that we can take these conversations out to the world. You see, today I want to give you a guide that can help us see where agreement ends and division begins. Where agreement ends and division begins. As we learned last week, division is not from Jesus. The division that we're seeing is not from Jesus. He does not want it to be, he does not want it to be in his church. Jesus does not want division in his church or in his people. You see, the, the Apostle Paul, a man who wrote most of the New Testament, he was a Pharisee. That meant somebody super high up in the religious sect of the Jews. He was very educated. He hated Christians. Until one day, when Jesus turned his life upside down. And he realized that everything he had learned, everything he knew about God, was through the, he needed to have it through the filter of Jesus. That this Jesus who came, this Jesus who, the, the followers he was trying to kill, that he needed to realize, oh, wait a minute, this Jesus saved my life and is setting me free to live a life that I never imagined I could have. 
a life no longer under the law, a life no longer under the slavery that I lived in. And so Paul, he shares a phrase throughout his letters that he takes from the teachings of Jesus. And this phrase that he uses throughout his letters is this, this phrase titled, the law of Christ. What Paul is referring to when he says the law of Christ is the New Testament, the new commandment that Jesus gives in John. You see, the Jews of those days were very familiar familiar with the commandments of Jesus, of the commandments of God, I should say, and the commandments of the Old Testament and the laws. You see, they had over 600 religious laws, so they they knew this law. When he said the law of Christ, they were very familiar with the law. But Jesus says, in John chapter 13, I'm going to give you one commandment. And it's the most important. There's no commandment more important than this. He repeats it multiple times throughout the New Testament. It's a commandment of love. And it says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says this. He said, love one another. Be known for your love and be identified by your love. Be known for your love and be identified by it. May that be what what everybody looks at and sees that that's what makes Christians different. That's what makes people different at that church. That's what makes them so different. Somehow they, they can sit in two different seats when it comes to politics, yet they are united in love. How does that work? Because when love is the main thing, it makes everything else secondary. You see, this wasn't any normal kind of love, though. Jesus defines this love. Love as I have loved you. It's not this flippant love. It's not this, oh, I love you and I love Chick-fil-A. It is a real love. This is a love of sacrifice. This is a love of all-in kind of love. This is a I love all people. This is a, a community kind of love. This is a family kind of love. And so Paul, he carries this idea of, of Jesus' new commandment. This is the new commandment that I give to you. Love one another. Paul takes this and he writes it to the, in the letters that he sends out to the churches. And he repeats it over and over and over again, the importance of loving one another. And I think one of the reasons why he's pushing it so hard, because it's, it's so easy for us to be divided. It's so easy for us to be divided. But love is the main goal, the main vision, the main purpose of what Jesus wants us to be sharing. This unified love for one another. 
You know, I've heard it said that vision leaks and mission drifts. So, and this is used mostly in the topic of business and making sure if your business, if you want to get your business to go from point A to point B, you got to make sure you have a clear vision. This is where I'm going. We are going north and this is how we're going to get there. We're going to go here to here to here. You know, and Jesus is like, I want to make disciples and I want to make sure people know the good news and they're going to do it by your love. That's how this is going to be seen. And so Paul is taking this, this vision of, of Jesus, a changed world, a saved world, and it's going to be done by his love. And so he puts it throughout because he wants to make sure people know the vision and they know the mission. They know this is where we're going to go and this is how we're going to get there. And Paul then, he says this, he uses the teaching of Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul says, though I am free. These words are powerful during a time where there were slaves and servants everywhere. It was just part of life. It was a job almost. It just is something that happened in those days. Being a slave was just something that was common. It was no different. These words would not have, 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 or the word slave would not have been a trigger word in those days. But slave and free together are. Because Paul says, "For for though I am free from all, I have made myself, meaning he's making a choice to be a servant, or other translations actually use the word to be a slave. Paul says, I am making the choice to be a slave to all. Paul is saying his one focus, his one drive, his one goal is to win people to Christ. And he is going to do anything and everything he can to share the hope of Jesus. We read in this passage his urgency, his voice. He's like, I don't have much time left here. So I'm going to do everything within my power. I know I have the freedom to go. I could just live this life I want. I could, I could just live under the grace. I, but I want to make sure people know God. That they know that Jesus came to die on a cross to save them from their sins. My one goal is to win as many as I possibly can. He doesn't want to get caught in the weeds of of politics and all these other things. And so many of us, we're caught in the weeds of these things. And Paul says, no. He continues in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 9. To the Jews I became as to a Jew. In order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being under the law myself that I might win those under the law. You see, his goal is to win. His goal is to share the hope of Jesus. Every conversation, every relationship, everything he does is to win people for Christ. Verse 21, to those outside of the law. That means anybody who's not a Jew. I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside of law, I mean, he's meaning like, okay, I'm not, I can't, I'm not like gonna go and do whatever I want. I'm, I'm still I'm still part of, I believe in what God says, is what he's saying. But I'm not under the law. I'm under the law of Christ. I'm not under your 600 different commandments. I'm not under this burden of having to try to get to heaven on my own. He says, but I'm under the law of Christ that I might win those outside of the law. 
You see, when he says under the law, he is, ta- he is talking about how he is under gr- the grace of Jesus. He doesn't have to try to work to get to heaven anymore. You see, under the Jewish law, it was all these different things you had to do. You had to, you couldn't go, you couldn't do too much work on this day and you, you had to do this and, and all these rules and all these regulations that they had to follow. It was over 600 different rules and regulations that they had to follow just in hopes to one day have God's approval and God's love. And Paul says, I'm not under that. I'm under the grace of Jesus. That Jesus, he came and he did all the work and he died for me on a cross. You see, Paul continues throughout these verses. He's, he's focusing on winning many because he sees a world that needs Jesus. He's referring, when he talks about many and those not who are Jews, he's referring to pretty much anybody else in the world who's not a Jew. He says, I'm going to sit with them. I'm going to be with them. Paul, in essence, is saying, I am willing to do anything short of sin to convince Gentiles that Jesus loves them. You see, how far are we willing to go? How uncomfortable are we willing to get? Not sin. I'm not talking about going sin. Go and do things that, that are wrong. But how uncomfortable are we willing to get to win others to Christ? See, then he says, I'm not outside of the law. But I don't have to carry the burden of having to try to accomplish it. He says, I'm under the law of Christ. And what's that law? Do you remember? The law of Christ is to love one another. That's the law he's under. That's what he pushes. That's what he wants to make sure gets to every single church. This love one another. This is the most important thing. This is, what's keep, this is what keeps us focused, what keeps us driven. This is what drives his decisions, his purpose, and his cause. This love for one another. Paul then says in another one of his letters to a church in Galatia, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear or carry one another's burdens so And so fulfill, again our phrase, the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? To love one another. So that you might fulfill the law of loving one another. He now is saying, if we want to live this new commandment, he says, I'm free, I can do whatever I want, but I am am bound to this. He says, but I, but under the law that I might win, under this law of Christ, the law of Christ of loving one another that I might win. And then he says again, takes it even more, to fulfill the goal and the vision of Jesus, I've got to be under, fulfilling the law of God is, is I've got to be so wrapped up in loving one another, carrying one another's burdens. You see, in this, it's all of a sudden, he's, he's wanting us to get out of the seat that we're comfortable in, to sit in a seat that's a little more uncomfortable for us, to sit in a seat that we're not used to, to sit in a seat that, that's not necessarily our seat. To carry, it means to come alongside the weaker, to carry with them, or at times, to even carry it for them. 
You see, we have a perfect example in Jesus when Jesus tells us in Matthew. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You take my yoke, I will take your heavy yoke. You take my burden, it's light, it's super easy, I'll take your heavy one. That's what Jesus did on the cross. The burden of trying to live this life, of trying to be perfect, of trying to accomplish everything. Jesus says, you can't do that, but I've already done it. Let me have that. You take my yoke of, it's already done. The work is complete. Your backpack's empty. You see, Paul is wanting us to get out of the seat, to get into the seat so that we can see what other people are carrying. Because, you know, when we make decisions on whether politics or whatever, so many times, especially as believers, the reason why we see the world that we see is because of the convictions that we have, because of the life that we've lived. So the reason why we vote left is because we have a filter of life that we have seen as we've grown up. The reason, the reason why we vote right is because of the filter that we have in life that we have seen growing up. So here's what should be done. As Paul says, bear one another's burdens. When we see somebody struggling in life, maybe we see them struggling financially, or when we see a family struggling, or when we see somebody bearing the burden of a physical ailment, or when we see somebody getting tripped up in life, when we see people carrying burdens, we, as believers, should fulfill the law of Christ by loving one another. You see, the law of Christ is what should drive us. It should be how we see all people. When the concerns of others concern you and you act on it, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. Did you hear that? When the concerns of others concern you and you act on it, not the concerns of others concern you like, oh, that looks bad. I wish, you know, they could get better. But when it concerns you and you act on it, you try to be part of the solution. That's fulfilling the law of Christ. You see, the law of Christ should be what informs our conscience and leads our decisions. It should be hardwired into the innermost parts of our being. It should be everything that filters all the things that we do in life. The law of Christ. Love one another. We should be so disturbed and irritated and convicted when we see injustice happening. When we see uh, uh, um, people being disrespected, when we see people not getting what they deserve, when we see um, somebody in our culture being disrespected, when we see people being undermined, when we see people undermining their own future, when we see people ruining their own lives, when we see people undermining their own health and undermining their own relationships and undermining their kids and undermining their own integrity and the integrity of their family or of society, when we see these things happening in our culture, we should be moved to be a catalyst of change, not sit on the sidelines and hope some vote will make it change. You see, some vote, yes, it will change things, but your actions will do so much more than you could ever imagine or think. And that's why Paul is saying bear one another's burdens get in put their shoes on for a little bit sit in their seat 
can you get comfortable there and can you see where they're coming from? You see, these teachings of Jesus have been changing and shaping society since he taught them. In the fourth century, it was common. It was everywhere. It was, oh, that's just what you do. If we were to walk in, you say, hey, you have a slave? Oh, yeah, you don't have a slave? That would be the conversation. It was just, a, oh, that, that's just what we do. I have, I have actually a lot. And, and that would be the conversation. If you didn't have any, you would be out of the norm. It was believed that it was okay for people to own other people. That was just in culture. That was politically okay. Even, Greek, even the Greek philosopher Aristotle said this, for, for that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, but it's expedient. We sitting on the other side, look at that going, that's so wrong. But in fourth century time, that was totally fine. It was a Christian, it was the Christians who spoke up against that in culture, who went against the norm, who decided to take action and fulfill the law of Christ and say, no, we are to love one another. Owning people is wrong. It was the Christian faith. It was a few people. It wasn't the politics. It wasn't somebody who all of a sudden changed things. Now, it, it was a, an emperor, Constantine, who one day came to know the Lord. And because of Christian's influence and because of Jesus Christ saving his life, he made it no longer right. You see, it was Christians, actually that's wrong, it was Christians who got this to be changed. Because Christians all of a sudden started infiltrating each place saying slavery is not right. It was, it was Augustine, it was, it, was a, it was a philosopher, it was a it was a theologian of those times that, that came out and said, no, guys, we've got this all wrong. Slavery is not necessary or expedient. Slavery is a result of sin. It's not natural or, necess excuse me, or necessary. It's, it's wrong. Then suddenly, this brand new idea of love one another started to take over the country. It was believed and then it was lived out and then it changed things. You see, another thing in those times was this, this politically okay thing called infanticide. And you might say, what in the world is that? That, that is, was the action that was okay at that time. It was, it was a, oh, you don't do that? You, you've never done that? You've never seen it done? How, have you been living under a rock? And it was the belief that if you did not want your child that was born to you, then you go and you take it outside the city gates and you let the elements decide whether or not the, the child will live. If you had a daughter, it was, it was a lot of times when you had a daughter or a special needs child or a child that had any kind of deformity, that you would take that child, you'd put it outside the city gate, you'd put it out in, in front of the forest, you'd put it on the river, and you'd be like, I don't want this child. And the government didn't shun upon it. They were okay with it. They approved it. They actually applauded it because it helped with keeping a population down and, and making sure that there weren't things that were inconveniencing for people. And so it was okay. It was an okay thing that your, that politics, that, that government, that, that rulers approved of. But then Christians said, there is no way this is right. 
Christians totally disagreed. And from the beginning, Christians would go and they would go take these babies, whether it was a little baby that somebody didn't want it, or it was a little baby with a deformity or a special need. Christians would go and take those babies into their own homes and feed them with the little bit that they had. Because they were driven by the law of Christ to love one another. That informed every bit of their being. And then when a man named Constantine, what I was talking about earlier, a man named Constantine, the emperor, became a follower of Jesus. And he said, okay, infanticide, that's wrong. It's a crime. You can't do that. But then in 374 BC or AD, Emperor Valentine, he didn't just make it a crime. He made it a capital offense if you killed your baby. Imagine if we did that today. In 2020, if we had the same passion. You see, here's what happened. Christianity started to infiltrate and change things. You see, when the law of Christ, when it informs an individual or a village or a city or a nation, things change. Things change. There is a missionary named William Carey in the 17, 1800s, and he moved to India. And while he was there, he saw different practices that were done in their culture that are approved by their government that were fine to do. One of them was if you had a baby and you didn't want your baby, or you had a daughter and you didn't want your daughter, or the same kind of idea, it had deformities and you didn't want it. It was okay, it was approved of, it was common. You would take that baby, sometimes as an act of worship, sometimes as just an act of convenience, you would take that baby and you would throw it into the Ganges River, the most holy river in all of India. And you would take that baby and you would throw it in the, in the river and it would either be eaten by the crocodiles or it would drown. And that was totally fine. And William Carey saw this and he said, this has got to change change. We value life, all life, every bit of life. And another practice that they did was called suti, I believe. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but this practice is where if if a husband were to die and his wife were still alive, what they would do is they would burn the husband's body. That was just common. That's how they would, they would bury people. That You didn't bury, you would be burned there, dead. But they would take the wife and they would put her a live body on the burning body of her husband and she would die with him. And they saw that as such a holy and respectable and honorable thing to do. And William Carey saw these two things. There are many things he saw, but those are the two things I'm pointing out. He saw these things and he, and he said, these are wrong. Now remember, these things were politically approved of and fine to do. And he said, no, these are wrong. We cannot do this. You see, William Carey, he went into the, into the villages and cities in India and he taught them the golden rule. Treat one another the way you want to be treated. He taught them the law of Christ to love one another. He taught them that what Jesus taught to, to love your neighbor as yourself, kindness and compassion. He taught them the, that you should not be sacrificing your children, the, the wrongness and worshiping idols and how idols are not what they are to be. He taught them the basic Bible principles about raci- racism and racial distinction, which totally opposed the caste system. The caste system, you're born into it. So if you're born at the lowest level, you can never go up. 
until maybe one day you get reincarnated into something better. And if you're at the top, then that's as high as you can go. And so people lived in this. And he said, okay, there is no difference. He taught them out of Colossians. There, you know, he says, here he says, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, free, but we are all in Christ. We're all humans. You see, the teachings of Jesus have been shaping cultures for centuries. And every once in a while, every once in a while, a small group of Christians decide to get in the middle of the mess of culture, decide to shake things up, decide to get involved. You see, the teachings of Jesus have the power to shape and change the landscape of people's beliefs. Our life lens needs to be filtered through the love of Jesus and the love that he's called us to live by. For the law of Christ, that it may be fulfilled. Loving one another. So what can we do? Here are three simple ways that we can have the law of Christ work through us. Number one, listen. Listen to those that are different from you. Listen to people's stories. Listen to listen without having a planned rebuttal. You know, I have family who left Nazi Germany as, as really refugees. And I over the summer I got to hang out with my aunt and uncle and I got to hear their stories of living in camps. living off of scraps. And finally, one day coming to America, and you know what they came to America as? Really indentured servants. Somebody paid for them and they had to go serve on a farm. And I listened to their, my uncle's stories and my aunt and listening to what it was like living over there and why they love living here the two governments that they lived under and the freedom that they have and listening and valuing. And, and that is one of the things that shapes my mind and how I see the world, looking at where my family came from. So we can listen. We can learn. Be a student. Ask questions. If you don't listen, you can't learn. Learn why they believe the way they do, why they vote the way they do. I, you know, listening to my uncle and, and, and listening to him talk about the sympathy he has for those who steal when they are in need. Not those who just go and pillage and just, you know, they go and take when all these riots were happening, but listening to him talk about, you know, when, when somebody has nothing and they, they are totally poor and they just need to eat. And my uncle telling me, Jeremiah, you know why I have compassion for them? I said, no, why? Is it because I've been there? He said, when we lived in the camps in, in Germany, he said, you were only given a small portion of food and it wasn't enough to feed our family. So I would go out, him and his little group of friends. He's like, we would go and we'd steal just so that we could eat. And so he's able to put himself into people's shoes that I can't even begin to understand. Are we willing to, to learn? And the third thing is love. 
love? Are, are we willing to love, realize love heals, love forgives, love does not instigate. Love doesn't poke. It doesn't poke at Facebook or Instagram. It's not, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't go in it trying to cause a fight. Here's what love does. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast and is not arrogant. It's not rude. It is. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. So here's what we can do. Let's listen, let's learn, and let's love. You may think, but really, what can I do? You can listen, you can learn, you can love. Remember this, that once upon a time, there was a handful of Jesus followers being crushed by an empire and the rules of their religion. And they gave to Caesar what was Caesar's. And they gave to God what was God's. And they gave their lives. That empire is no more. That temple is no more. Rome's most famous emperor is nothing but a footnote in the story of Jesus of Nazareth. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Empires rise and fall, but Jesus says, I am going to build my church. And nothing is ever going to get in the way. And he did that. And we've been invited to be a part of this, of what Jesus is doing. And he's doing it through his command, his new command, love one another. And it's the simple way forward. And it's our responsibility especially in a season like this, that we show that we are not divided. We live in such a divided nation, but as a people that we are not divided, that we look for ways to love, that we see that it is possible to disagree politically, to love unconditionally while praying for unity. You see, at Jesus' cross, we lost the right of doing anything less than loving one another. So how do we do this? What's the next step to grow more in this? You know, I'm going to keep saying it. There's no way, there's no better way of learning unity than to serving alongside one another. Join a team. Join us in. Be a part of something that's bigger than you. Be a part of something that's accomplishing so much more. And there's so many different ways and different teams that you can be a part of at City View. There's video teams. There's editing teams. There's creative teams. There's, there's speaking teams. There's behind the, seat, behind the, 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 the scenes kind of teams. There's so many teams. There's technical teams. Join a team, get out of your seat, and be a part of what God is doing through City View Church. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. Remember, listen, learn, and love, and don't miss part three of Talking Points. God bless. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out our website at cityviewphx.com or download the City View app on the App Store.